Hey, Brookside, I hope that you're having a great morning. Our family's getting some time away this weekend, but we can't wait to join you next Sunday on Easter. As Rob has mentioned, I can't encourage you enough as well to make some bold invites this week. Take some risks. Who knows what God might do? Let's trust him for immeasurably more, and we'll be so glad that we did. And then let's pray our hearts out that God's presence is honored and that faith is inspired in the lives of people. You know, we are trusting God to do significant things on Easter 2018. Now this morning, I am excited for you. We are in part three of our Within Reach series, and we have the opportunity this morning to hear from our founding pastor, Steve Maltemeyer. You know, last weekend we had our home at Brookside Gathering, and we began that by talking about the history of the church. And as I prepared for that, I was again filled with gratitude for the way that Brookside was led so faithfully and with so much passion for 35 years. We sincerely thank God for that unique blessing. And so with that in mind, let's give a huge welcome and round of applause to our founding pastor, Steve. Great to see all of you this morning and to be up here looking at all of you. I, um, I've got to tell you, though, it's, it's been so good for me to be able to sit in the audience with you on Sunday mornings and listen to Jeff and Tim preach. It's so relaxing, knowing all the pressures on them and <laughs> I'm just sitting back and enjoying it. And, but they're doing a great job. And I would just encourage you to pray for them every week. Preparing a sermon and preaching it, is, uh, it's, it, it really does take a lot to do um, and, and to do it well. And pray for Jeff in his leadership of Brookside as your lead pastor. I wouldn't trade the 35 years that I had with Brookside uh, serving together with you as, as your lead pastor. But in all honesty, I had no idea the weight of responsibility I was carrying until I handed it off to Jeff. No idea. In fact, you know, last year, Beck and I were on sabbatical, and, and I think it took at least six months for me to fully realize what had happened to me and, and uh, what I had handed off to Jeff. Uh, so pray for him. You know, pray daily. Uh, it's a spiritual deal. It, it really is. Um, and um, it only, you can only do it by, by the grace of God and by uh, having a church family pray for you. And that's one of the things I'm so thankful for as I look back on my 35 years uh, with Brookside. So it's fun to be up here. I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to share with you what God taught me through the verses of Scripture that Rob read uh, for you a few minutes ago. Um, I, I, you've heard me say, those of you who've been here uh, during the time I was preaching, you've heard me say this before, but I'm, I'm just blown away over and over again how I can go into a passage of Scripture, and I've, I've read it so many times before in my life, and then have God speak to me in a fresh way, which is what he did for me this, uh, these last two weeks as I prepared this sermon. Honestly, I was blown away by what God taught me. 
And I thought, you know, probably the best way to lead into a sermon is to mention Scott Frost. I mean, <laughs> that's just, doesn't that just make you say, go like, I've heard all I need to hear today. I can go home now. I just <laughs> feel so good. Uh, but, but seriously, uh, I have, I'm learning to respect this guy very quickly. Not just because he's a great coach, but because of who he is as a person that I'm picking up on. And uh, I do seriously want to lead into to today's sermon because it was like a gift for me. One of, one of the Nebraska players was asked the question, what's the difference now with Scott Frost as your new head coach? And I just loved what he said. And so we're going to begin by reading, quoting from this football player. He said, the difference between this year and what we had in the past is that this coaching staff is all about putting us in attack mode. It's all about when you get on the field, don't worry about thinking too much. We're going to put you in the right position and train you to know what's coming. And when you get out there, we just want you to attack, to go for it. With Frost, I love this, it's not about being in defensive mode where you're trying not to make mistakes. It's about being on offense. You're, you're attacking. You're aggressively taking on the other team. It's a whole different mindset. That's just, that is great. And then, you know, better than just hearing a quote is to hear it from the man himself, right? So Scott Frost said, why, why don't we watch this video, just a short clip of what he said, all right? Yeah, one of our sayings is have a desire to excel and no fear of failure. And uh, part of that is on the, the coach's responsibility. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned that we're not going to yell and scream at kids. We're not going to cuss at kids. Um, I don't think that's the right thing to do. And I also don't want to make kids afraid to go make a great play. Uh, if someone misses a tackle or drops a ball, they don't need to be yelled at. They need to be taught the right way to do it so it doesn't happen again. And once you take away that uh, fear of what might happen if you make a bad play, it really frees you up to mo go make great plays. So I, I want our team to always play with the desire to excel and no fear of failure. Hmm. Play with the desire to excel and no fear of failure. That's, that's brilliant. What we're going to talk about today is living with that kind of a mindset in our relationship with God where you're on offense spiritually. You're in, in a certain sense, you're in attack mode. You're aggressively, you're, you're passionately pursuing a life that's like the life that Jesus Christ lived. A life that can make a huge difference for good in the lives of other people and a life that, that for you is absolutely, it's incredibly fulfilling. It's, it's an exciting kind of a life to live. And we're going to look at a choice that, that I'm convinced goes a long way toward living this kind of life. I'm convinced because after 40 years of ministry, I have seen this lived out in the lives of men and women who are sold out for Jesus Christ. They're all in, full force, attack mode, intentional about living this way. And they've made this choice. And this is one of the two things I, I want us to take away this morning. The choice where you refuse to play it safe. You refuse to play it safe. Now, we're going to look at this, but first of all, we need to understand 
what it is that, that is at its core, really what it is that will that position those people and will position you and motivate you to want to pursue this kind of life in, in, for yourself and also to make this kind of a choice. And it comes down to this one statement. Follow Jesus for who he is. Allow the truth of who Jesus is, capture your heart and your mind. If you do, it, it, it'll make all the difference in your life. It, it'll take your life to the next level where, in a sense, you're always moving up in your ability to impact the lives of other people. Allowing Christ, the truth of who he is, to capture your heart and your mind. Now, I'm going to begin by saying something that, that might surprise you. you. Whether you're here today and you've never read the Bible before or you've read, it, you've read the Bible for years, it might surprise you to know that for the first three years of Jesus' ministry, and he had three years total, for the first three years, up until the very end of that third year, it wasn't about Jesus going around and telling people who he is, that he's, that he's God, the Son of God. He, he just didn't do that. All of that was held for this one moment, this one day, when Jesus would force the issue of, of who he is and what is the right response that we should make to him. That's really what Palm Sunday is all about. In fact, I, I would hope that you would leave here today with a whole new sense of respect for Palm Sunday. It's, Palm Sunday is no small deal. It's the first day that Jesus publicly declared himself to be the Son of God, to be God. What I discovered when I read these verses, and this is part of the fun, you know, the fun part of reading Scripture, the discoveries that you make. If you, if you go back from the 21st chapter to the very end of the 20th chapter, and Rob read it for us this morning, the very first time Jesus declared this was when these two blind men cried out to him, Son of David, have mercy on us. When they said this, everybody knew that they were speaking of the Messiah who had been predicted hundreds of years before. They were really crying out, ultimate king, final king of Israel, have mercy on us. And when they said this, Jesus didn't look around wondering who it was that they were talking to. He looked at them and he said to them, yes, what would you like me to do for you? This is something the disciples said been wishing and hoping that Jesus would have done at the very beginning. And, that, and, and I'm, I'm guessing in that moment when they, when they heard him say this, realized what was happening, they, they were both thrilled and terrified at the same time. In their mind, this is now do or die. It was like they were on their final sprint to the top. Finally, what they had been hoping would happen, they thought was now going to happen. The second thing to note that was fun for me to discover here and think about was that Jesus Christ was in total charge of what was about to take place. You know, it's easy for us to think that this, this, this some, somehow just happened. This, this crowd spontaneously showed up and declared Jesus to be, this, to be the Messiah. And Jesus Christ said something like, well, shucks, I'm, I'm speechless. But that's not what happened. 
Listen, everybody, Jesus was absolutely in control. He had it all planned. He arranged everything. And it began with him sending the disciples into that little town, that little village called Bethany, to get a donkey. Now, thing that you might not know is that in that little village of Bethany, three of Jesus' closest friends lived, Lazarus and Mary and Martha. He knew Bethany very well. He spent, he spent a lot of time with them. But here's what not to miss. If there was ever a group of people who believed that Jesus had, had absolute power, who were convinced that he was the Son of God, it was the people who lived in the village of Bethany. Because you know what happened? It was in Bethany that Lazarus was raised from, from death to life. After he'd been dead and buried for four days, Jesus brought him back to life. i got to tell you, everybody, if you're going to get a crowd to proclaim that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, you're never going to find a more convinced crowd of people than the people living in, in, in Bethany. So as I thought about this, I'm, I'm thinking to myself that he, Jesus not only sent those disciples into Bethany to get a donkey, he sent them to get a crowd. He's in total control. He's forcing the issue. Jesus, when he was riding into Jerusalem, wanted, he wanted it to be proclaimed as loudly as possible that he is the Messiah, that he's the Son of God, that he's come. And he does it in a way nobody expected. He rides in on the back of a donkey, sends his disciples to get a donkey. I don't know, but you know, reading between the lines, I think these disciples must have had some conversation on the way, like, what in the world is he doing? He shouldn't ride in on a donkey. He should ride in on a war horse. He should come in like he's a king, and he's victorious, and he's coming to conquer. He's sending the wrong message. This is all wrong. But it wasn't all wrong. Jesus, he knew what he was doing. He he was communicating, he was sending the message that he wanted to send, the greatest, most life-transforming message that anybody could ever hear. He was saying, I'm coming into the city of Jerusalem to die for the sin of mankind. I'm coming as a servant. And in doing this, he fulfilled the words of the Old Testament prophet Zechariah, who said, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious and gentle, riding on a donkey. Zechariah nailed it with this description of Jesus. Righteous, victorious, gentle, perfect in his righteousness, absolutely holy, sinless, the sinless son of God, infinite in his power, the creator of this universe, someone who is loving and gracious and forgiving. That's who Jesus is. That's who we follow. And what I want to urge on all of us this morning is to allow this truth of who Jesus is to capture our hearts and our minds. Because if we do, then it's going to motivate us to be as passionate as we possibly can to become like Jesus Christ, to live the life he lived. And then when he comes into Jerusalem, what does he do? He walks into the temple, God's house, and declares that it's his. And then, he, and then you know what he does? Like any owner of a house has the right to do, he rearranges the furniture, right? And it's like he puts down his, his you know, his sword and he, in a loud voice he cries out, 
My house will be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves and I'm done with this. No longer will this happen. And the most dramatic, the most visible, the most, you know, the biggest way possible, Jesus Christ declares himself God. He, he forces the issue. He's saying to everybody, either accept me as God and count, crown me king of your lives or, or reject me and kill me. Nothing in the middle is good enough for Jesus. Nothing in the middle. It's never, it's never us just saying, oh, I like him. He won't accept that. You know what this means for you and me? Jesus Christ comes to us in exactly the same way. He forces our hand. He, he forces the issue. Either we believe in him as the son of God and we surrender him as Savior and Lord of our lives or we reject him and we push him out of our lives and we say to him, I want you dead to me. I don't want anything to do with you. He never accepts anything in the middle. Which brings us back to where we began this morning. Living with that Scott Frost mindset that we're all in spiritually. That everything within us, attack mode, we want to passionately pursue a life that's like the life Jesus lived. And included in this, and a major part of it, is that we refuse to play it safe with our lives. One of the things that the religious leaders did that Jesus would not accept is that they made all these little rules about what a person could or could not do. Hundreds of little rules that were easy to do, but really avoided what mattered the most to God, which more often than not is the hard stuff. The hard stuff that forces us to get out of, out of an easy kind of a relationship with God where we realize we've got to live a life that we can only live by the power of God within us. A life where we're taking risks and we're not holding back because of fear. Whatever that fear might be, including the fear of failure. That's why I love what Scott Frost said in that video where he said, I want our teams to always play with a desire to excel and no fear of failure. We all know that recently our, our nation and our world lost a very great man, Billy Graham. Yeah. I love what he, he had written before he died. He said, you know, when I die and, 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 you know, he said, and people say that Billy Graham's died, don't believe him. I'm more alive now than I've ever been. I just love that, you know. And, and I remember as a kid back in the 50s and 60s, and <laughs> some of you that's like ancient history, okay? But back in the 50s and 60s when, when I would watch the Billy Graham Crusades with my mom and dad, I can, I can still see it. And, and, and hearing him preach these powerful sermons and, and seeing hundreds of people come forward with, with tears in their eyes to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. It was a powerful thing for me as a kid to grow up seeing but you know, many people do not realize the, the stand that Billy Graham took against racial segregation. 
In fact, his stand against it was so, so forceful that his life and the li lives of his own family, his, his wife and his children were often threatened with death. Now, at a critical point in our nation's history, Billy Graham would not play it safe. He was willing to do the hard thing. And it all came to a head when, when in the state of Mississippi, this is really the first time he confronted this, where there were some people in the South who wanted him to preach before audiences that were segregated. They wanted him to do, to do crusades where they separated the whites from the blacks. And back then, the way they did this was with ropes. And the whites would sit in the front, and the blacks would sit in the back. And Billy Graham hated this. And in a crusade in, in Mississippi, he, he walked into, one, into the stadium where everything was getting ready for the crusade. And, and along with his team, they walked up on the platform to look out and to see if everything was ready. And he saw those ropes. And he said, no more of this. No more of this. And he went to the head usher and he asked him, asked him to remove the ropes. And when that man refused, Billy Graham himself began to take down those ropes. And when they tried to stop him, he said, if you stop me from doing this, I'm going to cancel this crusade and I'm going to tell the world why I did. And they let him do it. And some would say that was the beginning of the end of racial segregation in, in that state. Billy Graham did the hard thing. He refused to play it safe. You know what, everybody? Every single one of us have ropes, those kind of ropes at some point in our lives where we're in a situation when we, we're faced with doing the hard thing, something that needs to be done and somebody needs to do it. And when we do it, it's then that we, we experience the power of God, the strength of God in our lives, and we experience a Christian life that's exciting and fulfilling. Um, some of you might know, I, maybe not, uh, but I've got a thing going with two other guys, um, little NBA competition, okay? And uh, we've been doing it for three years now. We each have five teams that we chose, and we have our own little scoring system. And whoever wins at the end of the season gets a free NBA game wherever they want to go. Well, I've never won, okay? Uh, I, I, I was hoping this year, but then right out of the gate, my number one player for the Celtics got injured, and, and it was kind of mixed from then on, all right? But anyway, we, we went to San Antonio to watch the Spurs this year, and um, the, the stadium is, is kind of out of, we, we were staying downtown, uh, they got a great river walk downtown San Antonio and 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 but the stadium is out, out of the city and so you know we had the game and it was in the evening and it was already fairly late by the end of the game and and uh, and then it took time to get downtown and but one of the guys wanted to take me to a place that honestly in 40 years of ministry I've I've actually never been to and what really made it unique, and I'll tell you what it is here, but, but what really made it unique, and you might try to guess, okay, uh, what really made it unique it was a Saturday night. Becky and I never did, hardly ever did anything on a Saturday night. I mean, set by, 
by 5 o'clock, my mind was going to Sunday morning. And, and, and one of the things I did every Saturday night was review the sermon and pray and then go to bed early. Well, it was a Saturday night in San Antonio after the game, and one of the guys wanted, me, wanted to take me to a piano bar. Okay? And it, so it was late. And if you've been in a piano bar, you know, you got the musicians up front, and then you got this, this floor area where people can dance if they want to dance, and, and then seated all around it, you know, you got people seated and standing, and, and this place was packed. And it was late enough in the evening that, that people were really enjoying themselves. <laughs> okay? I mean, really. They were dancing, they were singing. One of the things that made it fun for me is they were singing my music. Because there was enough people in that audience that were my age. In fact, there was, there was one guy. We, he was tall and he was kind of nerdy looking. And we were trying to guess what this guy did for an occupation. And he was like, he was having fun. All right? He was inspiring everybody around him to have fun. And so we, we chose, well, we guessed what it was. But I'm not going to tell you because what of you might do that, this, for your job. Okay? So, but, but for me... It was like flashback to my days in high school with my friends who didn't know Christ. And uh, everything in me, I mean, I just felt this love welling up inside of me. And, and I was sitting there and I just found myself wishing I could, I could tap people on the shoulder and say, you know, could we get together? I'd, I'd like to, I mean, I, I just wish I had time to build friendship with them, to share Christ with them. Well, in the midst of all of these, see, these two guys are a lot younger than me. They're in their 30s. In the midst of it all, one of these guys asked me a question. He has a, he has a four-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a nine-year-old. And he's sitting there in the midst of all of this going on, and, and he's thinking about his role as a father. He's, I love this. He was, he was projecting forward into the future when his kids would be in college, and they'd likely be in an environment like this, okay? I love that, you know? He was already worrying, you know, about college. But he asked me a question. It was a good question. He said, what do you think would be the best advice you'd give me to to, for me to help position my children to thrive spiritually when they're in college and older, high school? And I thought about it, and I gave him my answer. And then we got back here, and he, he knew I was going to be doing this sermon, and so... He said, you know, Steve, the answer you gave me would be perfect for this sermon. So he said, well, you really should share it with everybody. And I said, yeah, absolutely. You've got to help me remember what I said. <laughs> now, I want to clarify something, okay, from first service. It wasn't because I had too much to drink that I couldn't remember, okay? Somebody said, you better clarify that, Steve. So I just want to make sure you know that, okay? So, so I had him email me what he remembered, and I put down what I remembered. And then I decided, you know what? I think it's better for me to write this out so I'm, I'm saying it as concisely as possible for all of you and put it in writing. So I'm just going to do something I've never done before. I'm going to quote myself. Okay, so here we go. I said to him, don't go with being timid and playing it safe. What we're seeing here isn't the real enemy to their faith. 
The real enemy is for them to see that living a life as a Christian isn't exciting. That it doesn't have the ability to offer them something that is so much greater than this. Don't settle for for a protection mode. Lead them in doing the hard stuff that requires faith and dependence on God. Help them see this is where following Christ truly means something, and this is where it's exciting and fulfilling. And I stopped at that point. Then I'm thinking a little bit more. We're sitting there, and and I'm thinking, no, i got to say one more thing. And then I said this, but you've got to do this yourself first. And then you can lead them. Um, as a parent, I just want to say, it's not just what you say, it's what you do. It makes a difference for your kids. And so if you've been playing it safe, here's, here's what I, I want to put out as a challenge to all of us. Every day, allow the Spirit of God living in you, lead you to do something that you can't do on your own, that you can only do through the strength that God gives you, where you're not playing it safe. Um, Some of you know that I've journaled for years. Becky and I both done this. Um, We're both convinced that it's, it's so valuable to our own spiritual our own spiritual walk with God. And by journaling, I mean as, we're, as we each have our own time in, in reading scripture, I do it in the morning and Becky does it in the evening, we write down what, what we learn and take notes. And, and one of the things that we write down is how we're going to apply that scripture to our lives. And, and then, then uh, I write out my prayers in, in kind of a shortened version. It helps me to concentrate. Now, one of the things that is so valuable about doing this is, is the accountability that it prov- helps me have for my own life. So if I, and, and including this whole thing of whether or not I'm playing it safe. So if I look back in my journal and I read back several weeks, several months, and I, and I, and I don't see anything in there that, that has a challenge to it, my applications really aren't where I'm getting out of, out of playing it easy, playing it safe. Well, or if my prayers are the same, they're the same prayers over and over again. And, and if, they've, if they've kind of evolved into being prayers where I'm just praying stuff that's safe or, or the same things, you know, and they're, and they're more about me than they're anything else, then, then I know that I've got some work to do. It's like a wake-up call to me that I've gotten into playing it safe. God got me on this one two weeks ago on a Wednesday morning. I'm reviewing my memorization in the book of, in the 12th chapter of Romans. And there, that, that's a chapter that I've repeated to myself many times. I know those verses well. But that Wednesday morning, God spoke to me with two verses. And God said, Steve, you haven't been doing this for a very long time. You better get doing it. Now, that's what we're talking about. So here's the challenge I like to throw out to all of us. Refuse to play it safe. Do at least one thing every day that requires faith in God that you know you can only do through the strength that God gives you. And I actually wrote down some examples of this, but I thought about this as I was doing first service. I don't think I want to give you any examples because I don't want to limit you to those. I'm guessing that every one of us right now 
have at least one thing in our life that's, that's a big deal, that's, that's a hard thing to do that God's been, been speaking to us about. And if you've got that kind of a thing, I want to just challenge you this morning to step out in faith and trust God and do that thing that's hard for you to do. Now, that's what, that's what makes the Christian life exciting and alive and fulfilling. I look out in this audience and I know, I know enough of you well enough that I know some of you haven't been playing it safe. You've refused to do that. And I thank you and I say, way to go for living that kind of a life. Or if you're sitting here this morning and you're, you're saying, Steve, you know what? I've been playing it safe and I don't want to play it safe. I want to step out and trust God to do something that I know God wants me to, to do. I'd say, go for it. Go for it. You know, the disciples, those men had no idea what Jesus was leading them into. When they followed him into Jerusalem, they thought it was all going to be great. <laughs> he had told them that he was going to die, but they refused to believe it. They kept pushing it in the back of their minds. You know, they should have taken a closer look at Jesus riding on that donkey. Riding as only as a servant could do, Jesus as a servant... Jesus, the one Zechariah described as righteous and victorious and gentle, he was riding into Jerusalem to be crucified on a cross, to die for each one of them, to die for each one of us, to take their sin, our sin on himself, and bear God's judgment. And you know what? He could do this because he was righteous, Exactly like Zechariah said. And he did it because he was gentle. He was loving and he was gracious and he was forgiving. It all comes down to this. Jesus refused to play it safe. And because he, re he made that choice, he became your savior and my savior. And so with everything in me, I, allow, I, I urge you to allow the truth of who Jesus is to capture your heart and your mind because if you do, you wanna, you'll be passionate about following Jesus and you'll experience the joy and the fulfillment of seeing how your life can impact the lives of other people. I don't want to leave here today without making sure everybody, all of us understand that the disciples finally got it. They really did. They got it on what we call Good Friday when Jesus died on the cross. They realized he died to be our Savior. And they got it when they realized that Zacharias was right when, when he said that Jesus is victorious because they saw the resurrected Jesus. They saw him alive again. And because of that, the rest of their lives, they refused to play it safe. And they gave their lives for Jesus Christ. I, I hope that. I pray that for all of us. Let's stand together as we pray. Mm. 
Lord Jesus, how can we, we, we really can't even possibly fully thank you that you made that choice. With each one of us in mind, you saw us living. Lord, you're God. You, you could look way into the future and see each one of our lives. You saw our need of a Savior. And you gave up the glory of heaven and you stepped into this earth and you became one with us in our humanity. And then you went to a cross and you died for us. You're loving, you're gracious, and you're forgiving, and you made it possible for us to have a relationship with you and with your Father in heaven. We're so grateful. We're so grateful. Strengthen us, Lord Jesus, by your Spirit to be like you. For your glory and for the good of so many other people. Amen.